Welcome to Menswear by a Woman. I have my guest called Frances Walker. I would say that she's a bit of a, um, a guru to me in a sense because of her how, what she's done in, in, in the menswear world. Um, she used to be the creative director for Nico Fare. She's worked for quite a lot of people like Mr. Porter. And I'm going to bring her on board and, and, and talk to her about creativity and how she began. Frances, hello. Hello, Samilla. Nice to be here. You too, Francis. So um, people like you, um, Francis, I looked up to, basically, because you're one of the, well, you were the creative director. You started off Nicole Faro Menswear. Um, and um, yeah, and when I was at uni, I used to look at Nicole Faro's work and thinking, my God, this is beautiful. And it was you who was behind it all. <laughs> so no, I am you. so grateful that you're actually on Menswear by a Woman. Thank you so much. And it's an absolute honor to actually speak to you, Francis. You're welcome. And would you like to explain to everyone how you um, started in menswear? So I took a sort of conventional route in that I sort of left school, did an art foundation, decided, prompted by a sort of my Welsh tutor, who was a fine artist. He sort of picked up on the fact that every time I came into college, I was wearing something weird, which was because I used to make all my own clothes. (laughs) And when I came to sort of to choosing what I was going to do for university, I was I'd always thought I'd be graphic design or something. And uh, he he just looked at me one day and sort of said, "Well, Fran, obviously your fashion because you know everything you wear and make everything is handmade, so you've got to be in fashion." So I sort of fell into it that way and um, applied. Ended up at Kingston Polytechnic as it was then, because we're talking about the 80s. And uh, I was there only for two terms, and I transferred to Nottingham right? because uh, because my boyfriend was there, but also because I could, I'd got to know people on the course a bit, and I wanted it to, to be a little bit, to have a little bit more freedom. I kind of knew what I was going to be up against, having had two very intense terms at Kingston. I could see the most amazing job opportunities that were awaiting the students there. And I worked out, I think, that I had the sort of self-motivation and determination to get to that point at the end of my three years. But I kind of wanted to do it in a way which would allow me to experiment and learn in a more creative way. Right. So, um, yeah, I I had a great three years at Nottingham. You know, nights at the Hacienda in Manchester and the fantastic nightclubs that we had in Nottingham, but then working really, really hard. And there were sort of, I suppose, two formative things that happened to me um, during my university career um, or my polytechnic career, as it was then. Uh, One of them was I took the first, my final summer holiday in my end of my second year and the first term of my final third year out to do a placement at Next Menswear. Okay. And we're t- yeah, we're talking about 1986, Melissa. Next, right. Next was a bit like um, the Zara group, the Inditex Yeah, group of course, yeah. So it was really creative, was really directional, and right. um, the menswear at Next was extraordinarily good. And there were a fantastic team, three guys that I was working with there, um, two of whom had been very, were very experienced. I can't remember the names now, which is terrible, but two of them were very, very experienced and highly respected in menswear generally at the time. And I was thrown in at the deep end, 
with this team. It was brilliant. Um, my my shining glories there were getting uh, doing being given the next menswear Christmas collection. Okay. Uh, to work on, which meant uh, printed boxer shorts with ties and knitted Christmas jumpers. Right. And I remember. Uh, being confronted with this brief and thinking, what self-respecting man who is cool <laughs> in his clothes, which is who we were clearly aiming for, was a cool guy that was discerning about his clothes choice. His wife wasn't buying stuff for him. Why are we giving him some, hit the opportunity of some, his wife then to buy him some god-awful, hideous boxes of shorts and ties. So I, too, I made them as tasteful as I possibly could. Oh, good on actually. Yeah, exactly. And um, bless him, my 90-year-old father still wears his Christmas every Christmas. Yeah, it's a sort of 1950s flared kipper tie with um, bells and twisted music going on. The other thing I did while I was there, which again was very exciting, was I redesigned the next menswear logo, which went on a lot of their clothes. And because it was before computers were really used for that kind of thing, yep. it was done with letra sets and hand pen work. Whoa. And, yeah. And then was sent to an agency in London who did have the technology to sort of take this artwork and, I suppose, make it digital. So that was fantastic. And I learned a lot of being in a commercial environment from my sort of probably six months that I was there. Yeah. But the most... the the thing that was most exciting about I think my my university years was doing a project or competition for Paul Smith um, which I was fortunate enough to win and it was a there was a fine art student a photography student a knitwear student and a fashion student um, winner for this competition and we went with Paul Sir Paul to New York for a fantastic sort of three-week trip um, and he just opened his first shop in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue at a time when Fifth Avenue hardly had any shops in that right, area. Yeah, yeah. Like a bit of it, it's, you know, Fifth yep. Avenue is now literally end-to-end shops. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. And he he was the most extraordinary, and still is yep. a wonderful mentor. I don't see him very often, but he is one of those people that just affirmed how exciting an industry fashion is to be in. He was positive. He's he's creative. He's got such energy, and that absolutely resonated with me. Um, I would actually so, say to you, um, I agree with you totally because um, I've told you the story how I met Paul Smith and how I got to yeah. do some of his um, got to do some work for him. And I think um, out of everyone that I've met um, throughout my career, I would have to put my hand out and say, Mr. Smith, Sir Smith, Sir Paul Smith is one of the best, amazing guy that I've um, fashion designer that I've met in my entire life. He's so yeah. creative. He he looks at you with a creative eye. He just knows how it all works. And you're right. He's such yeah. a gentleman. He's such a yeah. lovely guy. Yeah. He is, and he has. He what he has is that curiosity. Yep. And that energy that are so essential, I think, for being yep. a good designer, good creator. Is you have to keep curious. He he keeps himself ahead of the game. He I don't even remember now how old he is. But he's the one person I can meet, and in a conversation, I will still feel like that 21-year-old student I did all those years ago because there is just this exchange of ideas and fun. 
and it you know why should it's only clothes at the end of the day it's only fashion we shouldn't take it so seriously um and I you know he absolutely seeing you you do it with passion or you don't do it at all I think totally for me um and what you get out is what you get out what you put in and and Paul has is a shining light still of that you know with his foundation that he's set up this Paul Smith foundation where he's helping creatives and you know inspiring I think that's it's it's essential absolutely essential yeah um but anyway yeah anyway so that yes so university was that and then I because I did the Paul Smith competition, I got offered this well, the opportunity to meet Stephen Marks, who is owns still owns French Connection and also owned at the time Nicole Fari. Mm-hmm. And I met Stephen Marks and Nicole Fari and was asked, um, invited to set up menswear for Nicole Fari. So we're talking 1988. Right. Um, and that was my first job, which was you know looking back it's extraordinary opportunity I knew it at the time but when I look back it was it was absolutely amazing opportunity to be offered straight from college yeah I mean Um, reading your um resume on the um, LinkedIn I just think my god you know you've done so much in the menswear industry well, it was it was all exciting stuff. I think that was the, the thing for me with Nicole Fari was it came, I sort of got my degree. So I'd had to put a mini collection together. And actually, yeah. at the time I was sort of doing my collection was men's wear, but with a bit of women's wear. in Right. There. Okay. And um, what Nicole, Nicole Fari was a startup on menswear the women's had been going for about three or about four years I think by that time so we were starting it small but I learned everything that I have you know I everything I learned in the fashion world I learned at that job at Nicole Fari and I was allowed what was amazing in hindsight was being given that opportunity effectively to make mistakes as well as as doing the job okay uh, because I was learning everything you know I thought I've not worked with a factory before. I've not been to a fabric fair before. You know, we go to these trade fairs twice a twice a year, and I'd never been to one of those. And suddenly, I'm on a plane on my way to to Milan to go to Lake Como, most beautiful yep. textile Cordier di Biella, where all the tailoring um, yes. people go. And not really having a clue what I didn't know any of the names of the mills. I didn't really know what I was <laughs> looking for necessarily. And just coming back with getting all these swatches delivered into the office and having to put a collection together from scratch and then finding the manufacturers. Scary, though, at the same point, but exciting. Oh, amazingly exciting. Yeah. You know, Um, I mean, it sounds quite, you know, it sounds quite exciting. It sounds very exciting, but at the same time, it sounds scary as well because the amount of work that goes on to put a collection together, it's unbelievable. You know, totally unbelievable I mean, it's I'm, not about just doing I'm, pretty drawings it's got so much to do with it <laughs> you know a hell of a lot yeah. of research costings <laughs> yeah you know I mean what was interesting I think though back in that time though you yeah. know there was no internet yep so we're talking prehistoric times but but you know I had well, as a student when I'd done collections when I'd done projects and everything else you know the library the, the, the library and magazines and your own head and exhibitions that that's that was what yeah. your point of reference was yeah. so actually launching Nicole Fari then 
without the pressure almost of being aware of what everybody else was doing, what aware of what all the competition was doing, unless you actually physically went into the shop and you saw it, or there happened to be some article in a newspaper because yeah. the shows had been on. So there might, if you were lucky, be one picture and, and a yes. little tiny paragraph regarding menswear because yeah. nobody really reported fashion menswear. in menswear. I oh, know. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, you're right. But it gave you much more freedom, therefore, to really think and to be genuinely creative and innovative, I think. And, you know, I, I had the raw materials. I went to the fabric first. I had the fabrics. I went to the factories, um, which we were, Nicole Fari, we were making, the collection was all made in Italy for at least the first couple of years. I worked with a fantastic guy called Peter Howarth, who runs a very successful agency called show media and peter howarth came from paul smith and he was more on the commercial side of the business and helped put a range plan together and he and i worked really closely together me on the design side and him trying to help from a production side himself learning about the costings and everything else and we sort of spent time in Italy together, traveling around, finding the factories and putting a collection into work together. We were helping each other learn the way to do it. It was very exciting. I was fortunate in that one of the A-levels I decided to do when I was at school was Italian. So my Italian was (laughs) extraordinarily useful. And actually I felt that was a kind of gift because it felt like everything came together. All the things I loved suddenly... I was able to do in one go. But, um, you know, I was writing, I wrote every single individual swing ticket for the collection, that first collection. I wrote the prices. I ordered all the fabrics. Um, I hilariously, um, my second season at Nicole Fari, I ordered, I will never forget it. I ordered the wrong colour when we were we were ordering. We were doing gabardine suits back in the day. Right, okay. Suits with three button and four button. Yeah. Trousers either had two pleats or we had a four pleat trouser in Nickelfire, four pleats each side, which is a bestseller. And we were supposed to be ordering them in navy and black. And I think a dark, dark green. And I made a mistake on the number of the order and ordered ended up we ended up getting burgundy gabardine oh instead of instead of the navy gabardine that we decided we wanted to produce and I remember the swatch coming in from the factory (laughs) is this we thought you were having navy because that's what it says on the order but this is what's come in and I realized what I've done and it was I can't remember how many meters of it but it probably made about 50 to 100 suits and I had to go and tell Stephen Marks that I'd made this mistake and go, what do we do? That's a big swatch of burgundy. And he very, he always forgave me my mistakes, I have to say. He was absolutely fantastic. And he looked at me quizzically and he went, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, I've already tried to over-dye it, but it'll go, might go a funny colour, yeah. like purple, because it was burgundy <laughs> if we tried to dye it black. And he said, well, we might as well just make it and just suck it and see. Um, and so we sucked it and we saw, and we made these gabardine suits in Burgundy and arena magazine did a fantastic one page photograph of this coolest guy striking a sort of scratching pose, wearing our gabardine three suit. And we sold out of this color faster than the black and the green. So, Amazing. So 
But it was, but it was, Amazing we're talking about stories. 90, probably by then we're talking 1990 or 1989 and burgundy suits were in, who knew? My my so, school uniform was burgundy. Yeah. So, you know, I hated that colour so much. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hated it so it. much but my my uniform was burgundy it's like oh god but you know what yeah. um and it worked and it kind of worked and what, what happened it's, isn't it amazing when you know when things go wrong but they come out amazingly well yeah. you know it's well, it like, right it was the right fabric that's yeah. for sure the actual gabardine itself was one of those fabrics that i remember yoji was using it com were using it yeah it, it felt like it was a modern fabric it was from a fantastic mill that still exists called carpini yeah and i remember um i had a recent conversation not that long ago actually with my friend of mine called Stuart trevor who was a founder of all saints was his business and he oh, and right. i were at college together in the same okay. year and he went off to Reese when I went off to Nicol Fari, and we both remember using him at Reese and me at Nicol Fari. We both used this same quality of gabardine from okay. Carpini called Papavero, and uh, yeah. But um, no, we were using fantastic quality, as were Reese back yeah, in the day. Wow. Um, yeah, it, and exactly. it was just so exciting to to use these, yeah, fantastic fabrics being able to use the best really so was it was it more like that you actually were thrown into menswear yeah I sort of feel it was always my comfort zone because I've always been a designer that um looks at for timelessness I've always been somebody that is totally inspired by looking at vintage clothing old clothing I I love the fact that things you know what what pieces sort of stand the test of time truly why have people taken workwear pieces and repaired them and restored them you know just kept them going yeah you know what is it about clothing that certain pieces of clothing that make people live in them until they're threadbare and the stories that those then tell so for me menswear has always men's approach to dressing has always been a more about a sense of style and feeling yeah. I think comfortable in their skin yeah. than women's wear. You've got those kind of icons in a menswear wardrobe that have been there now for sort of over a hundred years, you know, yeah. longer, yes, but yeah. probably in the last a hundred years, sort of modern clothing. Contemporary style, yes, it evolves. But you're revisiting pieces and making them relevant again. You're not sort of inventing something that's completely different that's never existed before and I and I for me menswear I love because the parameters start by being narrower a bloke will generally wear a pair of trousers or something on his legs and a top bit and maybe something over the top of that yeah so you you start you start with narrow parameters and therefore it's like how much can I do with within those narrow parameters to make something that's still absolutely distinctive and brand different so you've got to work harder. So then it can be about the fabric. Is it the detail? Yeah. And on top of that with menswear for me, it always has to be functional. It has to be fit. Yeah, definitely. So you've got to, you can't just do something that's sort of gimmicky design because at the end of the day, guys are going to go, what the, what do I need that for? <laughs> I think, you know, men are much more questioning. Yes, more than women. Much, yeah, much yeah, more so. Yeah. They want to know how something works. works. Exactly. I always you know, thought that as well. <laughs> I always thought that it's like, you know, I've got to be able to design something that is functional because they're going to start asking questions. Well, why is that yes. pocket there? Why wasn't it yeah. there? You know, you've got to start Tem- thinking the way they do. And then you've got to say, yeah. and if, if that pocket's on this side, and it's like, and they're quite picky if you've, if you, if oh, I, yeah, I mean, they're more the, picky than women. 
but they are and I think what if it's not quite right it doesn't quite hit the spot they won't buy it and they can sort of you know so they're much more much more discerning I think they take that time they and more than anything you know they want to feel comfortable in their skin I don't a guy puts clothes on to feel cooler to feel more himself I think yeah you know and you you compliment a guy you know a mate will say to him oh I love your jeans mate and you know I've got the same ones and that's a that's a a affirmation of a good choice rather as a woman might you know might feel slightly threatened by that I mean I certainly don't I think (laughs) I maybe I've always had that kind of but it's always like like, um I know you're you're absolutely right but what I wanted to ask you was you know you were talking about style Who's yeah. your style icon in menswear? Oh, golly. Um, so <laughs> I've got I quite have, a few. I have a few. Yeah, I have a few. I have people that I've met over the years who would be pointless to mention, but I I look at people like Alan Delong. Okay. I love, I, I love Alan Delong. And um, I've always loved Steve McQueen because yeah. I like the way he just wears, you know, yep. anything he put on, white t-shirt. Sure. It just looks so good. Yeah. He's iconic. Um, David Bowie for me, absolutely yeah. 100% because, you know, he was, when you strip back all his sort of stage costumes and everything yeah. else, yeah. He, he was wearing quite, I've got, I've got mood boards of images from him, but he, you know, he would, he wears the basics and gives them attitude and makes them, you know, gives them something new. And I think, you know, Mick Jagger, I could pull out as well. I mean, I think that's the thing with interesting thing with icons, iconic men is often they are wearing the simplest thing, but it's how the attitude is everything for me. It's how you, how somebody puts something together and then their personality is laid on the top, which means you can just have a great white t-shirt. Yeah, of course. And it just doesn't have, have to be, yeah, more than that. But with a great um, white T-shirt, it, does it mean that it's, I mean, to me, it's got to be a white T-shirt that's got to be cut silhouette-wise. Yes, you totally. Know? And the fabric's got to, to feel amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, I mean, I did, I, I worked for a, a short while, uh, a couple of years ago, I did a, a year at Mr. Porter on their yeah. private label, which they've introduced just three years ago, I think it's only three years old so far. And uh, we did a film on the, the make of the, the, the Mr. Porter white T-shirt. And it's made in this lovely factory in Portugal. I saw that. I've seven, seen that. Seven people end to end sort of handling it from the fabric coming into yeah. the factory to the lady sewing the label on at the end of it. Yeah. But, you know, it's all about getting the fit right and the fabric right and, you, you know, is how is the neck stitched on? Is it stitched on in a way that's it's not going to split? The stitch isn't going to split. It's all those kind of finer details. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the, the men's what a white t-shirt is probably the most almost my most iconic piece of clothing ever. Yeah, it's um you know it's the one that has it's been here since isn't it the late the late nineteenth century when the first sort of white t-shirts sort yeah. of came about. It's sort of got a global reach and it's got a it's got some economic reach. You know, mm. you you get people from all walks of life wear, exactly. have a white t-shirt it's, it's a bit like the white shirt isn't it it's like having a yeah. white shirt in you i mean what was it like um was it george Armani who said um every man should have a white shirt in his wardrobe yeah yeah you know it and is. and it's yeah. true though in a sense because you you've got to need a white shirt uh, but it's got to be cut that way yeah. and the fabric's got to be that way i wanted to ask you what's more important style or fashion for men 
for me, style every time. Okay. And it's, why? It's that idea of timeless style. Because I, I I think the thing with for fashion is, fashion is great fun. And I think, you know, when I'm, certainly if I'm putting together an entire range, one of the things that you're always trying to balance within a range certainly is, for me, has always been like that everyday normal, no-brainer stuff he's going to wear love time and time and time again. Yeah. You can't live without those pieces you just can't live without. Yeah. And then at the other end, you've sort of got these heroes, seasonal heroes, which are more of your kind of, I suppose, you're more your fashion statement. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't mean that those aren't easy to wear, but it just means they stand out a bit, you know, and it gives from a press point of view, it gives you something to really talk about from mm-hmm. the customer's point of view. It might be the bit that they will not only treat themselves to something like a gorgeous plaid coat or exactly. something once every blue moon. And it's, right. it's that sort of treat to self thing. And I think, you know, that as a building a good range, it's all about having both those elements covered. But from a personal point of view, I could come down on style every single time. Yeah, uh, I would as well. Uh, I think yeah, it out, I uh, style will always be the first. It uh, fashion for me. Yeah, yeah. Fashion's just fashion and style is just yeah. beyond fashion. And I, yeah. think, I think in menswear, style is so much important because you forget yeah. about fashion totally then. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, and I do have it off the tip of my tongue actually. John Cocteau okay. said, Style is a simple way of saying complicated things. And I really quite like that. <laughs> it's true though. It, but it is true because yeah, fashion, true. for me, by its very nature, is actually quite complicated. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, style is when you strip it back. It's like what's going to make you hold on to something and wear it till it's threadbare? That's what style is about. Why? Why is it that you don't throw away your favorite jumper? Exactly. Um, I, mean, I, have, I, I have a Parker. Okay. It's an old military Parker. It's got wool wadding in it because the the cuffs are bare now, and it's got a sheepskin kind of hood that that sort of lays almost like a collar, and then it has a zip up the back so you can put it up. It's khaki. I don't know which I'm. I will have known once which country it came from. Yeah. And it's probably about 80 wow. years old. And I bought it on Portobello when I'd probably been working about five years. Right. And so I've had it for 25 years, probably, yeah. almost now. And I will never, I have never bought another warm parka since because this garment is utterly perfect. It's the weirdest thing. Um, but and I will always keep it and I've sort of repaired it with a bit of leather of suede around the cuffs to kind of get rid yeah. of the fraying edges and stuff like that but it keeps me warm and um it's interesting and I, I'm so I've you know if it, if I've had it for 25 years and it was 80 years old exactly it, can you imagine but it's but it's having something like that that's that's the thing for me as a designer is designing that piece where just somebody just wants to kind of live in it I think that's it's like my um, my dad's watch, right? My dad always used to wear a watch which yeah. was white dial inside. It was it was white inside, and he always used to use, have his um, strap black, which is a classic. Yeah. So um, I've still got his watch, um, which is like from the sixties. Yeah, right? and it's it's got the gold yeah. um, numbers on it, and it's 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 kind of off white base and it's got the black straps and I just can't, you know, it doesn't work, but I can't get rid of it because it's so, it's so beautifully done and it's so classic. And my father always used to 
wear classic clothes like tailored garments, tailored suits, shirts, tie, you know, and that's where I think I got my sense of style for menswear, which I didn't know then. So, you know, I keep yeah. saying that I wanted to be an astrophysicist, never wanted to be a menswear designer, <laughs> never, never knew yeah. that it existed, you no, know. No. So I understand where you're saying from start. And, and one of my dad's coat that he used to wear in the 60s, I still have it. And it's like, yeah. you know, um, it was like out of Astrakhan. It's Astrakhan fabric. Oh, yes. yeah, 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 yes. yeah, right. Yeah. And it's on corduroy. Yeah, and it's corduroy um, coat. And it's it's still there. It's, it's not even fraying or anything. It's so made so well. Yeah. And it's like beautifully made. Yeah. And you're right about it. One thing I wanted no, no. to ask you was, um, you know how the graduates are coming out, um, out of design universities at the moment? What would you say to them now? Because, you know, I mean, when, when I was coming out of university, you know, they were saying not everyone's going to become a designer, basically, yeah. or go and work in design. What would you say to a lot of the students who are coming out at the moment? Because it is very hard for them. I mean, it must be much harder for them now than it was in our time. Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, particularly in the last um, year and a half. Yeah, during I mean, the I pandemic, a yeah. Very, a lovely student I worked with actually last year when yeah. I was working um, with the Cornish brand finished uh, fantastic sustainability credentials. And um, she worked with us as an intern down there, and I know she's just got a job. Oh, brilliant. Now, which is fantastic. But I was talking to her the other day about how challenging her doing a d degree has been yeah. when, you know, as a fashion designer, you you enter, you bounce off your colleagues, you bounce off people to have ideas. It's all about touching products yeah, of and course. looking at stuff. You know, you can looking at stuff on the internet takes you only so far. And I, what I would certainly observe, I feel as, you know, I think it is a challenge now what roles there are going to be for enough of these graduates coming out. But I think what's really important is taking a look at how fashion degree courses actually run and what the students get out of them. Because as a paying student now, it costs you a lot to do a fashion degree yeah. and uh, you've got all your materials to buy, yeah. you know, not just for your drawing, because actually possibly you're doing a lot of your illustration online, but you need your raw materials. Buying fabrics is really quite hard now, challenging to even find the fabric in the first place, um, unless you sort of find a good vintage stash somewhere yeah. in the market. Um, so you've got to add all that extra cost in and it's about being taught how to, I think, to how to research taught more about the processes that you will be involved in when you get into the industry, the sort of merchandising sides of it, the buying, the development and everything else. I mean, there are lots of very interesting jobs other than design that you can get in yeah. fashion. Yeah. I think the thing is, as you go in as a BA student learning as a designer, you're going to, you, there's always been that disappointment if you don't, for a lot of people, if you don't end up being a designer when you leave. Um, but the sort of growth of, you know, buyers and merchandising departments when I started out didn't really exist I mean we had the buyer that was putting together the wholesale range at Nicole Fari but merchandisers people weren't analyzing and scrutinizing the data in quite the same way as they are now yeah uh, which has I think has become a real challenge for for designers if I'm yeah. entirely honest I think you know we are you're hired as a designer to for your creativity and I think the idea of a designer is you bring the future. You're the zeitgeist, if you like. You're you're thinking the product forward. You're yeah. 
always the most important thing is to keep your the brand you're working for left, right, and center of everything that yeah. you do, not yourself. It's what can I bring to that brand? So you're looking to the future, like what in a year's time is going to be what keeps the customer coming or is going to come back for even more from us? And the buyer is looking at what's out there at that current time when they're doing their job. They're saying, oh, gosh, so-and-so, so-and-so's got that. We could have had that. And they're looking for the missed opportunities. And your merchandisers bring you your past. So you've got mm. past from the merchandisers because they're looking at the, the facts and the figures as they are coming yeah, to, of course, to life. Yeah. And your buyer is your present and your designer is your future. And it's allowing designers to still be that future and recognizing how important that that creativity is. And you, as a graduate, I think, you know, you're, you're facing a a lot in a lot of instances that I certainly know of, you have to become an intern for a while before you can get your first time job. And I think that's very hard because, um, you know, you've studied for three years you've already got a debt because those three years so therefore to sort of have to sort of work for some lower salary just prove yourself but I think therefore the responsibility for me goes back to the educational bit of it and actually the degree courses themselves laying out a much more critical curriculum whereby you actually equip those students so when they leave they actually have some of the what they need to get straight into that first job you know the internships actually teach them I think a lot of the time more than being on their degree courses and I don't think that's the case (laughs) in most professions I think you feel well equipped yeah Um, and I and I think that's you know that's important but I mean you know with I think you know the UK is an interesting one when it comes to design you know we've got some really good brands in the UK but a lot of them are at that sort of faster fashion more and more in that faster fashion end of the market as yeah. well some boohoo and things like that which is mm. we're talking about sustainability and the state of the world and planet and I think a lot of students are much more conscious of that coming out of their um courses and and do want to do the right thing so we do need the businesses themselves to start you know not just talking the talk but walking the walk a little bit um you know we do need less but better stuff at the end of the day which is isn't necessarily going to create a growing fashion industry it's It's going to restrict so it's going to mean that you know the the best will survive and certainly when i started out lesser extent because you're that many 10 years behind me but certainly when I started out with Nicole Fari the competition wasn't that great in the designer end we had Georgia Armani and Prada just about to start Dolce Gabbana had just started and Paul Smith was there yes but you know we think of a lot of the bigger names you know Burberry hadn't reinvented itself no lots of people weren't there and on the high street you had sort of Ted I think it was Ted Baker and Reese in menswear um jigsaw didn't come around which is the place i went after nicole fari jigsaw menswear first time around was in the early 90s and they were pretty much on their own but now you've got the whole intertex group you've yeah. got the h&m group yeah uh, there are so many companies out there on the face of it doing quite good stuff whether it's good for the planet though and i think that's the, the great thing as a designer i think for me now that would be the one area as a young designer in university i'd be going all out to learn about sustainability absolutely right so i think it's the most critical thing because you're at that age where you can absorb it you can learn it you will do it quickly and it offers you a skill set 
which your older peers will not necessarily have. And yeah. because fashion is so fast and furious, unfortunately, still, I think, you know, we have yeah, all these ridiculous seasons and drops. Yeah. You know, there's no sign. You know, there's slight signs, I think, at the moment, with people sort of saying, actually, let's reduce to two seasons a year. I think some of the big designers like Gucci is certainly doing that. Dries van Noten, who I'm yeah. absolutely adore, Dries van Noten, is sort of saying, love we're going to go back to an autumn, winter season and a spring, spring summer, summer season. We need yeah. to do less stuff. So there's less pressure. So there's more time to get the product that we do do right. So yeah. it fits well designed. So it's built to be functional. Um, and then there's more time to spend on the sustainability side, you know, making sure it's actually good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I think, as the, yeah, certainly if I was starting out again, I'd want to put that sort of understanding, really understanding that ethical side of fashion front and centre. And then going back to sort of simplifying when you're designing, going exhibitions and, um, you know, more space to think, really, rather than just pouring through Pinterest boards and all the stuff that's thrown at you on the internet. It's actually having time to look and appreciate and yeah, it's funny how you say that because um, I was looking at some of the um, students' work, and um, I think I was looking at Manchester United, uh, Manchester United, <laughs> Manchester University um, work, and um, the the BA fashion uh, work, and it's on it's on their website actually. And some of the students' yeah. work, amazing work, I must admit, every single student's work was absolutely amazing, and every single student's work is a, it's all digital now. And yes. it's like, yeah, it's yeah. quite sad yeah. in a sense, because you just think, you know how we yeah. used to like had to draw on paper and then do our yeah. artwork and everything. And now everything's on digital. And somehow I just feel like, you know, you just feel that's just been lost now kind of thing. Um, you know, when yeah. you get your paint sets out, your pencils, your pen, and then you do the technical drawing by hand because, you know, yeah. even though Photoshop was around, we still did our technical drawings by hand and all that stuff. And now looking at every single um, collection, um, images of the collection of the students, it's like all digital. And I just think to myself, my God, it's all been lost of that hand you know, hand drawing and everything. And even though yeah. I would love to see their sketchbooks on their collections, like on their collection page, how they got to the stages, because their sketchbooks are always much more fun and much yes. more exciting. And, and and you can tell from a, someone's, someone who's becoming a designer, you can tell how their ideas work and how creative they are from their sketchbooks, not from, 100%. Their, not from yeah. their line drawings or the collection drawings, because I always Absolutely. think... Um, sketchbooks to me is always like the thing you know um, once I see a student sketchbook I think in my god I can see how that idea went from one say, stage to another stage to another stage and somehow that's kind of being lost in digital age um, because yeah, I 100% yeah. agree with everything you've just said I mean as, as somebody who interviews designers you know I've yeah. interviewed many roles it's always the thing that I look that's the bit I enjoy looking at most is the sketchbooks it's the kind yeah. of the rough aspects of it where the personality kind of shines through yeah. I find it quite difficult sometimes looking at an all digital it's very showy and well presented yeah but actually I, give some fabric swatch do you understand you know because you don't have to have an understanding also of fabric and fabric to me 
actually if I was to say you know the one thing as a particularly as a menswear designer or as a designer generally actually for me it starts with the fabric so yes you've got your inspiration of who this character is maybe or who 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 your customer is will never change really but but you start by looking at fabric and fabric can inspire a whole collection back to my gabardine you know this gabardine was great there was a coating that went with the gabardine but pretty much we did loads of styles in the same fabric so fabric is everything so you don't get that sense of of texture and fabric from a digital portfolio I think you know it's quite sad don't you think yeah a lot of the greatest designers I think I've been watching the Halston thing and I don't gather he could really draw very well no boy could by draping and with the fabric so sometimes you you know the sketchbook tells you gives you the language of that person the handwriting in a way that a finished you know showy illustrator sketch just doesn't sort of somehow give you if you see somebody who's drawn something you see where the mistakes are which you see how they I love the mistakes find it yeah yeah I love seeing the mistakes actually because um when somebody scribbles something out on the sketchbook you're thinking yeah, that's great because that just shows that you, you know, that's just the thinking of the creativity yes. side of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah, yeah. Francis, who's your favourite menswear brand now? Who's my favourite menswear brand now? Yeah, Ooh. who's your favourite? <laughs> Am I putting you on the spot? <laughs> no, no, I, I have always loved Comme des Garçons. Of course. And Comme des Garçons and Dries Van Noten. And for me, with something like Comme des Garçons, it's the collection that underpins everything, the bit that they do that's always there, the kind yeah. of core, they do beautiful shirts, they do beautiful tailoring. Yeah. So you put aside their fashion collection and there are pieces that they do time and time again. They have perfect shirts, which they have not changed the sort of top stitching on it yeah. for whatever. I've got various incarnations. I think my first Comedy Awesome shirt was a men's shirt I bought in about 1990. Right. And have one that was more recent. And the top stitching from the edge is exactly the same, but the fit has changed throughout. You know, right, fit okay. changes, but the actual yeah. detail doesn't. Um, Dries Van Noten, I, I love for his creativity oh. because actually his collection is, every single collection is a completely new start. Yeah. It's a completely fresh book yeah. of new things. So there's sort of no continuity with him. But I love the way that, you know, he he's always put a show together. He puts his collections together and it all gets shown on a catwalk. This is the collection and then it goes into the shops like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no real continuity with him, but I love I love what he does. I mean, apparently I've watched this brilliant documentary a few couple of years or so ago. Andres Van Norton. Andres Van Norton. Yes, Lowe. I've seen that. It's absolutely Oh my God. He starts collection, doesn't he? With he puts something down that he's not comfortable with, and that's how it starts. starts. And it just I did amazing okay, documentary. I don't particularly like this, but how can I build a collection around? I just think it's genius. Yeah, and it's uh, it's amazing documentary though. So I would highly recommend anyone to go and watch this yeah. documentary because it's yeah. it's beautifully done. And he's one of my favourite designers, actually. Him, Comme de Gasson, yeah. um, you know, um, Yoji like Yamamoto. I Martin Margiela too, actually. Oh, yes. You know, Martin Margiela, um, just... Isimiyaki. Yeah. I've always liked Isimiyaki. Yeah. Um, there's so many others as well, actually, but uh, I love... I mean, I used to love McQueen's menswear stuff as well. Yeah. You know, McQueen's yeah. menswear. Uh, Vivian Westwood, because I just love the way she just used to do the... Cra- you know, just 
hit the boundary go over the boundary <laughs> you know yeah. what would you say yeah, to I mean, maybe as, a, as a woman maybe yeah exactly with yeah my my pride and joy i sadly can't fit into it anymore but i've given it to my best friend's doors but <laughs> vivian west would dress one of these kind of one sort of a wrap beautiful gray taffeta she's amazing though at the top and it it just makes me feel extraordinary if i'd been able to afford a wedding dress Vivian Westwood. <laughs> but I think she's an absolute amazing. I think she's amazing yeah. how she's actually. I don't know if you've seen the documentary of Vivian Westwood recently, yes. um, and how she just absolutely brilliant and the menswear. I've always loved her menswear anyway, um, and her women's wear. But people like McQueen, Vivian Westwood, they were like one of my favourites for all time. Yeah. And Comme de Garçon, yeah. Yoji Yamamoto for the fabric side, yeah. The, you know. Yeah, Yo- Yoji's uh, again. It's the underpinning. Oh. It's the kind of collections oh, underneath no. the collections because I'm kind of I like Dries van Noten's approach to sort of fashion, fashion for me because it's kind of still it's slightly artistic and yeah. like, surreal and but in a in in a good way. And I I think I probably look at it thinking I I would wear it too. So I, I would quite like to wear. I always prefer his men's to his women's. Yeah, it's, I've, I've, it's funny how you say that because I've always looked at the more at the men's side than the women's. Always looked yeah. at the men's side than the women's, and I just like yeah. no. I need to see the men's first, and then I'll go on to the women's. Um, last of all, what would you say to anyone starting up now, Francis, uh, at the moment? What would you advise them, even if they went um, to a menswear? design job or oh, I think you've got to go I think if you really want if you've got a dream and ambition to do it you absolutely have to do it and you have to reach you have to reach for the stars it means a lot of hard work you absolutely yeah. what you put in is what you get out absolutely you know you yeah. have to be dedicated you and I were talking earlier about you yeah. know you you said you sort of overcome having heard sort of early on when you were applying to be a student that they didn't think you could really draw you took a year and yeah. a half out and taught yourself how to draw yeah, I think I ha- yeah. you have to do, you know do it with passion or not at all in this in this industry and yeah. and there, you never stop learning you you have to keep curious and you really do have to work really hard that's the one thing I would say to probably you know students starting out and stuff you know working working from eight in the morning until 10 at night was the norm that's what we had to do you know there's no such thing as nine to five in this industry yeah you just can't do it on a nine to five particularly I think nowadays when when the expectations from from businesses for ranges and everything else you know the quantity of stuff that has to get produced is is extraordinary in comparison to so you know I mean I thought it was extraordinary back in the day there was more time I think to get it right so we spent a lot more time yeah. going back over things but I it, it is really really hard work and it's very personal work and it has to be like that it has to take it out of you you yeah. know it's you you've got to love it and you have to you know one of the things I was saying to this girl who's got this friend of mine who's just got this fab new job the other day you've got to challenge things you need to keep looking at clothes you you 
look at how other business how you know go into a wonderful shop that you love look at how the clothes are made yeah. look how the seats are made look how why they cut things certainly try things on think why are they done it like this i think it's you know at the end of the day we're talking about clothing we're not talking about paintings where somebody can hang it on a wall and no. get what they want these are clothes that have to fit that have to make people feel exceptionally good about themselves feel the best version of themselves so they you know the the fabric the fit the finishing and again this is where i feel you know with an from an educational standpoint so i think there's so much more that can be done you know teaching students about different fabrics what makes a good fabric what, yeah. what makes a bad fabric different fabrics and trims and how you put those elements together it's not just about drawing flat drawings no it's not just about even learning how to pattern cut at the end of the day it's about how different fabrics behave in different shapes and everything else it's a complicated thing it's like architecture it's like bringing together building materials and design yeah, you, yeah. you know fabrics and everything else you're building materials. so it's about really taking the time to learn about those and be interested in them I mean I, I used to make a, as I said earlier on I used to make a lot of my own clothes I think it's quite hard to do that nowadays because you can't get the fabrics in quite the same way no. but I used to also you know buy old clothing this is something I did regularly. My boyfriend right. used to joke. He said, oh, I suppose you're buying that pair of shoes to make an address, make it to a dress or something. <laughs> I used to do that. I used to buy things to make into other things. So I used to recut old bits of clothing and right. refit them and repurpose them. And actually at the moment, that would be a really good thing to be doing because, you know, that's what sustainability you know, we've, we've is. Consumption and everything else. So looking at that, but, but, but being curious and and doing it with passion and knowing that that might take a lot of time it might Absolutely. mean you can't go out there. you hit the you hit the now on the head yeah. there passion you have to, yeah you have to yeah. yeah do it with passion or not at all brilliant i'm gonna end it there and i'd just like to say yeah. thank you to francis for amazing chat um about yep she's just said it passion just do everything yeah. out of your passion otherwise there's no point yeah. in doing it so thank you very much, Francis. Lovely to well, speak well, to you. Lovely. And thank you so much coming back on this, um, coming on to Menswear by a Woman. And I would always invite you again to have another conversation about second version of creativity. Lovely. Thank you. Good to see you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Why woman, why woman, why woman, why woman.